The famous words of a movie director on stage is, lights, camera, action. When those words are said, an actor or a group of actors is given the cue to begin acting. And at that moment, when the director yells action, everyone jumps indeed into action and does what they're supposed to do according to the script. The word action is indeed a call to move, a call to do something that one is responsible for. It would be utter chaos on the movie set if the director calls out action. The actors are still reading their newspapers or drinking his or her coffee. Imagine the chaos if action is called and the actor saunters to the director and says, I'm not ready, I need about another hour. As Christians, in a sense, we are actors on the world stage. And the character we play is that of a Christ follower. When the director of our life, the Lord God, calls out action, do we move in response, ready to immediately play the part we are asked to play? You see, the importance of our actions is one of the most important life lessons that Jesus will teach his followers and teach us. And he will do so in a parable. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like to encourage you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to be taking a look at Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 to 32, as we continue our sermon series entitled, Masterclass, Learning Important Life Lessons Through the Parables of Jesus. Matthew chapter 21, the first gospel, the first book of the New Testament, chapter 21, verses 23 to 32. Now, before we get to the actual parable, we need to set the context and the background for why this parable is given. If you remember, Jesus' ministry on earth was met with great opposition by the Jewish religious leaders of that time who saw him as a threat to their authority. So throughout his ministry, they questioned the teachings of Jesus. Now, in order to establish that his teachings were truth, Jesus would authenticate his message through his miracles. But there were times that Jesus would not try to prove himself, knowing that the religious leaders would not believe anyways. And this is one of those times, and we pick up in verse 23. Now, when Jesus came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus, towards the latter half of his ministry, was centered around the city of Jerusalem. And he was teaching in the temple of Jerusalem. And there he was confronted and questioned by the Jewish religious leaders. Here in this instance, they asked him specifically about the basis of his authority. Verse 24, But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do this, these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? Jesus replied to the question of these leaders and said, I will answer your question only if you answer my question first. And Jesus asked them about where they believe the authority of John the Baptist came from. As some of you know, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. Did John's authority come from heaven or from men? Apparently, this question by Jesus 
through these religious leaders in a quandary. Look at verse 25. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say, From heaven he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say, From men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. This question of Jesus put the religious leaders in a dilemma. For John the Baptist was recognized by most all the people as being a prophet of God. And so if they say that his authority was from God in heaven, then they themselves would be criticized for not believing the words of John, but instead they opposed him. But if they answered that John's authority came from men, meaning that John's authority was from within himself, they would incur the displeasure and the anger of the people, for John was recognized as someone very special, a true prophet of God. Verse 27, so they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Caught in a dilemma, the religious leaders could not answer Jesus, and they simply said, we don't know. And so Jesus held to his word and did not give them an answer to their question to him. Now, the reason Jesus gave them this question about John the Baptist is because it is similar to his own situation. The vast majority of the people of that region believed that Jesus was indeed very special. He had authenticated his message with his miracles. But the religious leaders would not believe him. They would not acknowledge that he was the Son of God, much less a prophet of God, even though they witness his miracles. And so their inaction in acknowledging the claims of Jesus was because they were biased. They were jealous. Their hatred of Jesus meant that they would not take action to acknowledge him even though he had already validated the truth of his message through his miracles. It is in this context that Jesus speaks his parable about the importance of one's actions based on what is truth. You see, my friends, there is a difference between what we know to be truth and what we know to be true and our actions based on what we know to be true. For example, we know that we should all exercise more because it is good for us as the doctors have all certified. But do any of us do it? We all know that we should eat healthier, as proven scientifically, to make us feel better. But how many of us actually do it? The reason we don't exercise or eat healthier is not because we don't believe in the doctors or we question the scientific studies. The reason we don't do these things is because we are simply lazy and we want what we want to do. You see, our actions or our lack of action has no bearing on what the truth is. We may know something to be true, but sadly, it doesn't change the way we live in action, and that's wrong. If we know something to be true, then it should change us. It should call us to action. To teach the importance of action, Jesus gives this parable. Look at verse 28. But what do you think? A man had two sons, 
And he came to the first and said, Son, go, work today in my vineyard. The son answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second son and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I will go, sir. But he did not. The situation was that this father has two sons. And he asked each of these sons to go work in his vineyard. The first son, somehow preoccupied with something, responds that he will not go to the work at the vineyards. But then he realizes later on that perhaps what he was doing perhaps really wasn't that important. And so he eventually goes and does what his father asks him to do. Now to put it into a context perhaps you can understand, there's a teenager that is playing video games. And the parent asks the teen to go visit grandma who is sick in bed. And she wants someone to keep her company and to cheer her up. The teen says, no, I can't go. I'm not going to go because I'm trying to beat this level of my computer game. But then after a while, comes to an understanding that his playing of this video game is unimportant compared to visiting grandma and cheering her up. And so he goes to visit. Now there's another son, a second son, who is approached by dad to go work in the vineyard. And he tells the dad he will go but does not go. And so in our modern-day equivalence, this second teen tells dad, Dad, I will go. I love grandma. Grandma is so nice to me. She always gives me gifts on my birthday and even on Chinese New Year, red envelopes. I love grandma. I'm going to visit grandma. And all those words, but he never goes. And so with this situation, a question posed by Jesus. Look at verse 31. Which of the two did the will of the Father, they said to him, the first? If you were asked the question, which of the child do you feel was most responsive to the Father, which child would you pick? When I first read this parable, I said, I want the answer of the second son, but the action of the first son. Is that possible? No, you can't combine children. Which one would you rather have? Would you rather have the first son or the second son? And the answer in verse 31 is the first. Why? Because at the end of the day, when you ask someone to do something, the most important aspect is that they actually do it, right? At the end of the day, What you want is that the work you've asked them to do is done. It doesn't really matter the words they say to you. It shouldn't really matter how much time it took for you to convince them to do it. What's the most important aspect of instructions given is that they do it. All right? Keep that in mind. Now, what's the point of this parable? Jesus now brings the parable to an application in his time. Look at verse 31. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots, prostitutes, enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. This parable was an indictment on the Jewish religious leaders. He said that 
You hate the tax collectors. You hate the prostitutes. But they get to enter the kingdom of God because they acted upon the truth of the word spoken by John the Baptist. And John's message was repent, for the kingdom of God through Jesus was present and available. The problem of the leaders was that their pride Although they said all the spiritual things, although they said all the right things, they never actually believed. They never actually took action and repented. And that's why they would not go into the kingdom of God. They did not take action in accepting the truth that John and Jesus presented and that Jesus had authenticated through his miracles. Their lack of action prevented them from entering the kingdom of God. We need to understand in our current context that we need to take action based on the truth that we know. Now, I want to draw out three life principles from this parable. Life principle number one, if you're taking notes, here it is. Principle number one, words matter, but actions are more important. Words matter... But actions are more important. What you say is important. But unless it is followed up by tangible actions, your words are empty and my words don't hold water. You see, one can promise the world, but they're simply words without actions. Just like in this parable, the second son promised to go work in the fields. In our example, the second child promised to visit grandma, probably even said a a lot of nice things about grandma. But those words do not hold unless you actually do it. You know, you and I can promise a thousand and one things, even spiritually, that we plan to do this year. We plan to read through the entire Bible, all 66 books of the Bible, this calendar year. We promise to make a concerted effort not to be late to church anymore. We promise that we will live a more Christ-like life. We will strive to be more gentle and to be more compassionate. And you can be sincere and you can be earnest and you can be convincing. But unless you actually do those things, my friends, your words do not hold true. For example, wedding vows. I love listening to wedding vows. They are often beautifully written. Whether they're a paragraph long or three pages long, I've heard them all. And they're beautiful because the people who write those vows spent countless hours. And sometimes at a wedding, they are said with such emotion that they actually not only make their spouse cry, they make everyone in the congregation cry. But here's the thing about vows. Unless those words in the vows are upheld in action, then it's simply a lot of rambling words. You know, I often smile and laugh inside. I can't do it publicly. I don't want to spoil the moment. But I laugh inside when I hear couples promising in their vows to make breakfast for each other every morning. Or they promise to wash the dishes every day to keep the house perfectly clean and I'm laughing inside. Why? Because I know they can't keep it. And so I tell the couples, at least if I remember to do so, make sure you write vows that you can keep. 
But every young couple wants to outdo the other couple they've heard before. And so they promise them things that they cannot hold. And you experience folks who have already been married for decades. You sit there at a wedding, and some of you, I see it, when those young couples are speaking their vows, the elbows come flying out, you're ribbing your spouse, why can't you be as sweet as that person? Either that or you're ribbing your spouse saying, no, they won't be able to do that. And that's the truth. Vows are simply words, and they hold no water unless they are accompanied by action. And you know, this is a good lesson for us, a reminder in our Asian culture that words matter, but actions are more important. Why? Because our culture is such that we are great with words. We're flowery in our words. We are effusive in our praise for others, even though it's not true. Our words are full of graciousness. We're so kicky, we're so deferential to others in our culture. But what we all know is that in our culture, our words have double meaning. And even though we say those things, they're not met with any true action, right? How many of you, when someone asks you, are you going to be able to come to my party? Your answer is not a yes or a no. Your answer is, I'll try my best, which really means no. But we don't want to say no because it feels a lot better to hear, we'll try our best, even though in reality, it's a no. Now, don't get me wrong. How you say something is important, and words do matter, but actions are more important. I was reminded of this again. Uh, this time as I went back to the U.S. You see, whenever I return back to the U.S., it takes me a few days to adjust to the jet lag and the time change. But it also takes me some time to adjust to the culture, the American culture that I grew up in. I become more Asian as I've lived here more than a decade. And I remember meeting up with a group of friends who are all very successful businessmen, wealthier than me, and we met over coffee at Starbucks. Being the Asian that I am now, as we all put in our drink orders, I offered to pay first, thinking that they would also offer to pay. That's the Asian way. And then we would fight over the bill. And then I would let them win. Uh, and I would think that they would say, oh, no, pastor, you don't have to pay because you're a pastor and, you know, we have our own business. But when I offered, I was shocked when they simply said, okay, thanks. I learned my lesson quickly. In America, they take your word at face value, unlike in our culture. Words matter, but actions are more important. And that's a good thing. Because there may be times where we regret saying something or initially not offering to do something. And you and I can make amends in the mistakes of our words by showing through action that you and I are doing the right thing. A spouse can grumble all he or she wants about doing a chore, but at least he or she does it. You may not always say, I love you to your spouse, but you can show your spouse how much you love her or love him by living in faithfulness and in fidelity. 
Words matter, but actions are more important. Would you rather have a spouse that tells you, I love you every day, or would you rather have a spouse that lives in faithfulness until death do us part? You've got to think about that. So it is with God. As you and I love God, it is not in the effusiveness of your verbal praise to God that matters to God. It is in how you live in faithfulness that shows God how much you love Him. You know, if you do a study in the Scriptures and you take a look to see what God instructs us for how we are to live to show love to Him, it will surprise you that God often does not tell us to verbally speak praise to Him, but God commands us to show forth our love for Him in action. So it doesn't matter how many times you tell God, I love you, God. What matters is how you live your life that represents how much you love Him. Principle number one, words matter, but actions are more important. Here's the second life principle that we can draw out from this parable. Number two, if you're taking notes. Present actions are more important than past actions. Present actions are more important than past actions. In this parable, the present actions of both sons, working or not working in the vineyard, was more important to the father than their previous action of words, whether they would go or not. And that's a wonderful life principle. It means that today, you and I can choose to live to make up for the sins of the past. We can ask God, if you're not yet a believer, to come into your life today so that He can forgive you of what you did in the past. As believers, we can ask God to forgive our sins so that we can live in a right standing with Him. The life that you live in the present, the actions you take today, is more important to the Lord than what you did in the past. Listen and remember this principle. And we praise the Lord for this truth, especially in my life. I see it in such a vivid way because that is the hope and the beauty of the Christian life. We don't live in the failures of our past. We live in the beauty of the present. And this truth allows us, again, to make amends in the present. This truth allows us to make our lives worthwhile. You see, a lot of people think that their life is no longer of any worth because of what they did in the past. I am here to tell you that Jesus Christ makes all things new. And the present life that you live means so much to God that whatever life stage you are in, if you turn your life around, it is a life worth living. I don't care what you've done in the past. Neither does God, quite frankly. If you've repented and asked forgiveness, He gives you an opportunity, and He gives me an opportunity to live life again. Since we can't change the past, we can certainly make up for it in the present. You know my life. My life was such that I was not a very good child growing up. I was not a very good teenager, definitely not a good college student. And in fact, I met with a group of unbelieving friends this past trip that I had not seen in more than 20 years. And one of them commented to me, Steve, 
I'm surprised you're even a pastor. I don't even remember you being that religious in college. And they would be correct. But I told them, yes, I wasn't. And I'm sorry for that. And I'm trying to make it up today. We are not defined in the eyes of God based on what we did in the past. The Bible is very clear. It is the present action that is more important than the past ones. That's why when people look at us even, we often forget our past, whether good or bad. They often forget our past, whether good or bad. They want to see what we're doing in the present. How many of you today, when you're introducing yourself to another friend, tells them, you know what? In kindergarten, I was the salutatorian. Are you impressed? Do any of you today tell your friends what was your ranking in elementary? I hope not, because if you do, you have not accomplished very much since then. But a lot of people still live like that. Don't they remember what I did in high school or college? Here's the frank, frank answer. They don't. No one cares. They don't even care what you did last year. What are you doing in the present? Now, if you understand that this is true even in the world, then you can be reminded that we do not rest in the laurels and the accomplishments of the past. What it's, while it's important and God will reward you for those things, what God is looking for in your life today is what you are doing presently. There are a lot of people in church today who live in the past. They think that because of their past accomplishments for the Lord, they are some sort of, some, some, somehow afforded special privilege in the present. But that's simply not the case. That's why it doesn't matter what you gave to the church years ago. It doesn't matter what you did. Well, it mattered to God, and He rewarded you and will reward you. But it has no bearing on your spiritual life today. You see, so many people think that if they went to a Christian school like Grace, if they grew up in the church or they went to Sunday school, that somehow, because of what they did in the past, that God is pleased with their life. And so we live in the laurels of the past, thinking that somehow it negates our inaction in the present. God says, no. What are you doing today? What are you doing now? That's why even those who are retired past the age of 60, you may have done great things for the Lord in the past. Praise God. God remembers and God will reward but what are you doing now? What are you doing now for the sake of Jesus Christ? Present actions are more important than past ones. And that is a challenge for us to live faithfully for the Lord until the day we see Him. That's when we get our break. The third life principle, number three. Responding to truth in action is greatly important. Responding to truth in action is of great importance. That's our third principle. This parable was used by Jesus to condemn the religious leaders, saying, you were afforded the same knowledge of the truth as the prostitutes and the tax collectors, but they responded and you did not. And because they responded to truth, they're going to heaven. 
they enter into the kingdom of God. And because you didn't respond to the truth, you will not be entering the kingdom of God. We are called to respond to truth in action. We know a lot of truth about God. If I were to ask each one of you, list me five things that is true about God. You can do it. You tell me that God is love, that God is all-knowing, that God is all-powerful, that God is all-seeing, that God is eternal. You could tell me those truths. But then if I were to ask you, how do you live your life in response to that truth in action? It may be more difficult to answer because listen carefully. If you believe that God is sovereign and that He is in control and that He is all wise, then why do you worry so much? Think about that, right? If God is sovereignly in control of your life, then why do you and I worry? And there you can see how we can believe in truth but never respond in action. If you believe that He loves you unconditionally and cares for you, then why do you continue to question whether you are loved or not? When I talk to a bunch of teenagers, they will sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. And they will go and write in their journals, no one loves me, I'm all alone. That's what happens when you know the truth, but you have not taken that truth and applied it in your life in action. If you believe that God is just and He is righteous, then you need to stop trying to get revenge on your enemy knowing that God will take care of them. And yet every day, I'm sure, if you have an enemy, you're plotting how you can get them back. If God's Word and Jesus' own words are full of authority, the inerrant Word of God then why do we not follow it? It is a dichotomy that we live in our Christian life today where we can accept truth and know truth but never live it out in action. If that's the case, then we are no better than the Jewish religious leaders condemned by God. We hear God's Word. We even see and experience miracles in our life and yet it never affects our life. We are not moved to action. I remember I was meeting with some Muslims, and we were talking about what we each believed. And they would acknowledge that Jesus was a great prophet of theirs. In fact, the name Jesus appears more times in the Quran than even Muhammad's. They would acknowledge that the words of Jesus are true. So the logical question is, if they're going to believe in Jesus' words, then why do they not believe in His claim as the Son of God and are moved to action to belief? But lest we condemn them, therein lies the hypocrisy of many in our Christian life. It's hypocrisy. We acknowledge the truth of God and the truth of Jesus' words, but we are not moved to action in faith because our lives are too comfortable that the truth of the gospel does not call us to action. 
got a chance to meet my friend Leonid. Not seen him for more than a decade. We first met in North Carolina. His story is an amazing one, and I was reminded again just how powerful it is. Leonid and his family left the Ukraine as religious refugees in 1989. He said that they were part of the under, underground persecuted church. And there was a brief window of opportunity in 1989 to basically seek refuge in America with only a suitcase in his hand. Leonid's journey to America took him through Austria and Italy before arriving at a refugee resettlement center in Seattle, Washington. There he graduated from high school and he was accepted in the University of Washington where he studied business. He could now live the American dream. Everything was in place for him to enjoy a great life. But instead of staying in America, he went back to Russia, not once but twice, as a missionary. And I asked him why. He said, I felt like I wanted to do something ministry-wise as a way of expressing appreciation to God for opening so many opportunities in my life. He was kicked out of Russia not once but twice, persecuted for sharing the gospel. He was no longer allowed to return to Russia, and so he settled down in Texas where his sisters were living. And there, by chance, I ran into him at a mall. One could say, well, Leonid, you've lived your life for the Lord. You can now rest in Texas. But he saw a need for refugees living in North Texas to show them the love of Jesus Christ. And long story short, he helped found Project Start, where he's now executive director, helping thousands of refugees who settle in Texas find a home. All the while, as he continues to pastor a Russian-Ukrainian congregation with the hopes one day that he will be able to be allowed to return to minister in Russia. When I look at his life, I wonder why some people can live a life like Leonid's and others simply do not. They just go home and they watch television. I think it boils down to how a Christian responds to truth in action. How we respond to truth in action changes our life's perspective. You know, for most Christians, even in our comfortable church setting, we respond to truth with a head nod. And I see it every Sunday. You're nodding your head. Amen, pastor. Amen. And that's the extent of your response to God's revealed truth. You may even go a step further, more than the head nod. You're convicted in your heart. You're convicted to tears. You're moved. I am convicted. Lord, I was wrong. I need to do more. But that's the extent of it. From a head nod to a heart conviction, in the moment we walk out, we feel good. We've responded to the truth of God's Word. We were convicted of heart. And that happens every Sunday. Praise God for that. But to respond in a tangible action that is of significance is something that will change the trajectory of your life. 
It is where transformed lives begin. It is when you and I can understand that truth is so amazing that we would be willing to give our lives up for that truth. That is responding to truth in action. If not, we are no better than the religious leaders who perhaps even they were convicted of soul but took no action. The Bible tells us they do not enter the kingdom of God. What about us, I wonder? Do we respond to truth with tangible action? If you're going to walk away this morning, having heard God's revealed truth and taking no action in your life, then you and I have just wasted an hour of your life. Does the knowledge of the truth of the Word of God change the way you and I live? Does it spur us to action? When the director of our lives, the Lord God, shouts, Action! How many of us are really ready to be moved into action? How many of us take the cue to start living for Him? We're going to close with a wonderful hymn. We will be singing the words, Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. I hope they are more than words sung, but they are an acknowledgement of truth to begin to live for Him in real action. Our life director has shouted, Action! He's waiting for us to move. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. A simple parable with such profound implications. We in our culture and in the comfort of our church are so used to spiritual flowery words. We're so used to the head nod of conviction as a response and nothing else. I pray that you would allow each person here this morning who has heard your word to respond in a way that is tangible, real, a way that will shake this world for you. And it begins when we're willing to take action. Father, there are a lot of hindrances I know. Our pride gets in the way. The inconvenience of our life gets in the way. Help us to clear it out. Thank you that what we do in the present, enabled by the Holy Spirit, means so much more than the life we live in the past. I pray that you would raise up a church whose spoken words are overtaken by the power of their action. We may be a silent culture. We may not be a culture that expresses itself well. But no matter, because we can be a church that does amazing things for you. Bless your people and bless this church this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.